Hey, it's Chris Garlock. The AFI Silver Theater launched their European Union Film Showcase here in Metro Washington this week. It's one of my favorite local film festivals, after the D.C. Labor Film Fest, of course. The Labor Film Fest is co-presenting three of the films, and two of them, The Good Boss and Between Two Worlds, premiered this weekend. You can get details and tickets at afisilver.afi.com. At least Bryant and I chatted with AFI Silver Programming Director Todd Hitchcock and Associate Film Programmer Josh Gardner today about the showcase and the three labor films. Spoiler alert, I love all of them and I urge you to go see them. Anyway, here's today's show. Well, great. Hey, Todd, Josh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you were able to join Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and this is so exciting. We have the AFI European Union Showcase. And it's, is it all European Union, the whole thing, films? European Union films, yes. <laughs> yes. European Union films, that's, that's what we have here. We may talk about union stuff along the way, but it's the European Union film showcase. Awesome. So well, we, we got so excited about this. We thought you devoted an entire showcase to, to our films. We were, I, we were... That's... <laughs> we're touched by that and yeah you know what that'll be true every year every year we'll come back to you with with that in okay so So yeah the 20 the 27 countries of the of the eu uh make up the the selection of films oh great so i i I forgot to ask you our first opening question we asked all our guests what is the first film you remember seeing at the earliest age i've i've got this um it's it's vague, but it's definitely a, a memory, and I'm I'm just going to go with it as as my best recollection estimation of my my first film. We're talking in a theater, I I, I presume. Yes, in the movie back, back when people yes. did that sort of thing, it, when that was the only way to do it, right? So uh, it was Pinocchio in some kind of uh, oh, Disney Disney re-release uh, in the early '70s with my father at the the local small town movie theater where I grew up in upstate New York. And um, I, I have distinct memories somehow of the imagery playing out on the big screen. It wasn't, you know, Wonderful World of Disney Sunday nights on NBC. It was right. actually seeing it in the movie theater. But it's like I said, it's kind of foggy in a four-year-old memory kind of way. Oh, yeah. Okay, four years old. Better do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. What about you, Josh? I can't remember exactly, but it's the holiday season. So I'm going to go with Home Alone. Oh, my God. 1990. <laughs> that is so cute. Pinocchio yeah, and, and Home Alone. That, 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 that really sort of defines a couple of generations there, doesn't it? Uh, uh, <laughs> I just aged a decade myself. I know. <laughs> just, <laughs> just hearing, just hearing you, that. Brother. I know, I know. It was Home Alone, the original, not Home Alone 2, Josh, just to be clear. Home Alone. Don't make it yes, worse. Don't make it worse, Chris. <laughs> okay. So how many films did, did you have to look at? I mean, how many, well, how many, Enter, enter the- I mean, we could still be looking at films if if we if we didn't say we got to stop at some point. So we we ended up with a, a selection of fifty three films. Wow! And okay. and managed to represent all twenty seven countries uh, in the European Union. So oh, that wow. includes the big film producing countries like France, as well as the smaller countries that don't produce a lot of films per year, like say a Malta or a Cyprus or a Slovenia. And it just worked out this this way this year that there were there were good films from to to consider and ultimately select from all of the countries, all 27 countries in the EU. 
Um, so that doesn't happen every year, but it happened this year. And then in terms of, well, what, what does that mean in, in terms of a volume question? I, I don't know. We looked at several hundred films. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a process throughout the year, throughout the entire year. So we, in normal times, actually attend the major international film festivals. So kind of starts in January with Sundance and then Berlin in February and on to Cannes in May and then Toronto. Toronto and Venice take place approximately the same time, uh, August, September. And whether we're attending these festivals in person to see 40 or 50 films and figure out what's what, last year, 2020, took on a virtual version of doing that, which will continue uh, at least uh, in part this year. Um, but we just sort of cover the ground of what's out there to know about. And, and even after we might see a whole bunch of films at these festivals, we still have a lot of follow-up with another 40, 50, 60 that we, that we didn't see, but we're on the list and we didn't get to yet. So uh, we're watching screeners, online screeners sent to us by the film's uh, international sales agents and U.S. distributors for the films that have been bought by the U.S. for distribution and playing catch up in between the next festival where there's another batch of new films. So all that adds up to multiple hundreds of films that get watched by us to winnow it down to the selection of 50 or so every year. And how do you winnow them down? I mean, what, what, who, who decides and how, what's, the, how yeah. you, what's the criteria? Well, I mean, in, in principle, it's straightforward and simple that we're, we're selecting the best films, but yeah. that's a subjective thing, of course. And, um, you know, you have to make some hard choices at some point. It, I'll, I'll use France as an example. Every year, France has a lot of films. Mm -hmm. it, this year was an extreme example where we, we knew we had to cap it at a certain number because this couldn't turn into a 100 film selection. It, it was really hard because there were still films on our list from France that we really liked, but we just, we had to draw the line. We had to contain the overall selection. We had to con uh, have some sort of uh, concession to representation from other countries. Mm -hmm. So we ended up with, I forget if it's nine or 10. <laughs> I'd have to go back and count back up. I think it's 10, um, which is the most we've ever had from a single country. But you know, film number 11 on our list, we really wanted to include that. We just, we just had to draw the line somewhere. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you're drafting players for a sports team, you sort of, you have your list at the top and then the next year and you sort of go step by step and, you know, things will fall into place eventually, but um, there, there were some hard choices that had to be made this year. So is there a consistent criteria? That applies to all the films or is it more subjective? It's con yeah, it's consistent in terms of what we think makes for a good film. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe when it's a smaller country and, and it's you're, you're considering the smaller selection of films, okay, maybe you understand that that's, this film will allow us to represent that country. It may not be at the top of the list of the overall selection, but again, the definition of the festival is is thematic it's we're representing the european union so it would be tough to put out a selection that only included films from 10 of the countries of the 27 countries so there's you have there's a balance there in terms of that you know the representation having said that we've never shown a film that we absolutely hated j just to check boxes 
Gotcha. Um, but it's a you know considerations. There's considerations that go into how we end up with the selection. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Okay. So back to you, Chris. No, I was just uh, wondering if before we dive into the laborific films, um, you know, you were just talking about attending the the, uh, the big festivals uh, virtually, and you know that's certainly something that all of us, you know, have, have shared with you now. now. Normally, you know, and I know as a, as a programmer myself, you know. I'm used to watching screeners on my laptop or on my TV and then thinking about, well, how is it going to play in a theater? I'm just thinking about your experience attending the big festivals virtually, uh, how that differed from, from I mean, other than not having to travel, obviously. Well, um, everyone had to do it in 2020, uh, almost everyone. Um, and certainly for, for what our options were for attending. That was the only way it was gonna it was gonna happen. Um, so, at, end of story in that sense. Um, it it allowed us to do our work and familiarize ourselves with these films and eventually show them. And to, as it turned out, once we got past May, we've been open about six months now. Reopened. Um, show them in person to people. Uh, uh, and uh, you, you, you mentioned first big festival. We actually, we had a mini version of AFI docs in June. That's right, that's right. Right when we first opened, but it was, like I said, a, a smaller than normal version. We did a full-size Latin American film festival in September. Um, attendance wasn't all the way back. We, we knew that going in, it ended up being a, approximately what we were anticipating. And no one's attendance is all the way back. Um, Although we have had some events that have performed uh, at, at what you would consider a normal level. Our, our, our Film Noir Festival with Eddie Muller from TCM went amazing uh, in October. We had terrific turnout for that. Actually, it was our best ever edition of Noir City, which, which was amazing in, in this moment in time. Wow, congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the Silent Cinema Showcase did pretty well in, in November. And we have high hopes for the EU showcase in December, even though we're not necessarily counting on it performing at 100% of our 2019 numbers, 2019 being the last normal year. Um, but I think it could get close to that. That's, that's the hope. Um, but look, to go back to, to, to your original question, um, it's, a, it's a sad substitute to watch a premiere film on your laptop from the Sundance Film Festival or, or Berlin. But you know, it's that or nothing. But they're the examples of, I really like this. This is really good. Maybe I've got it cast to my television screen. So it's, you know, a little bigger. But, but that, that moment midway through where you're thinking, can you imagine how much better this is going to be on a big screen and, and with an audience? When I watched Summer of Soul uh, almost a year ago in, in January, uh, at the Sund you know, online version of Sundance, within 10, 15 minutes, like, this is great. And oh my goodness, this on screen with an audience is going to be exponentially a bigger, better thing. And, and it, there was no knowing what the timetables were at that point. And as, as luck had it in June, we did have it on screen as part of AFI docs, which that was, yeah, that was a, a wonderful payoff. So, yes, it was. um, there's there's a there's a difference there's a there's a there's a big difference and let, let's hope it's a temporary arrangement and that um uh 
because it's it's also just more efficient to to be there and to uh, be seeing a proper screening and seeing a film from start to finish. And it's uh, it's a little different navigating it online, but um, we we covered the bases regardless. But we're 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 looking forward to when when that's something that we can we can do again. Um, but yeah, it the, the way it's playing this year is we're we're going to be uh, watching and rewatching some of these films ourselves because. Now we don't have to watch them on our laptop. We can watch it on the big screen at AFI Silver. And it's wonderful. I've, I've seen uh, a number of films, you know, in the theater and just, just beyond just, it's, it's such a familiar, you know, second or third home for me to just to be back there in, in the theater and seeing folks uh, and, and then just to sit down in the theater. And, and as you're saying, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 of course, was thinking about the big screen and I've kind of forgotten to see a film, I think I saw the most recent one was the uh, the French Dispatch, which is also showing in European uh, uh, showcase. But to see that, and actually, it was funny. It was showing in the smallest theater, uh, very intimate. But uh, to have it with an audience, I I just I was so happy. It really made a big difference. Um, and the other yeah, thing I just wanted to to say for folks who are thinking about going to AFI, you know, you're observing COVID protocols, people are masked up. And the other thing I want to say, and I hope you, you keep this going forward, I know they've had this in LA for years, uh, where you reserve your seats online. So you know exactly where you're going. Um, and that's how you're doing the distancing, I guess, right? Uh, not, not exactly. Uh, so okay. you're, you're correct, we have reserved seating and, and that's become more standard at, at movie theaters. Um, these days, and it's it's really just a function of how the ticketing systems work. Um, but it's it, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a little more important in this moment where um, we we just need a system to um, order things. We we don't actually have um, any kind of rule about distancing. There was a a, a phase ah, in in the okay. early months. Where there there was a, a, a two seat policy and then a right. one seat policy. Right. Now keep in mind if you attend an afternoon screening on a Wednesday, the distancing's <laughs> probably built in because oh yeah, you, oh, yeah. you and perhaps seven other people will be spread out in a giant theater. So it's it's it ta it, it takes a lot of people before there's even a question of of what it what it feels like in terms of crowdedness. Um, that but that's more of a Saturday Saturday night thing. I think that's probably true of the of the theater industry overall. Um, but what we what we do have in place in this moment in time is uh, a proof of vaccination policy, right? Uh, or negative test. It's typically always the proof of vaccination that's presented. And um, I've been really surprised uh, in a good way um, the enthusiasm that patrons have communicated to us about that. That they appreciate that we have it in place. Uh, it makes them feel more comfortable about choosing to attend a movie in our location because of that policy. And it was it was instantaneous from when we announced it back in September um, and, you know, communicated that th this is this is the policy. Please remember to bring your information. And it's gone incredibly smoothly. But um, I, I was just sort of focused on the rollout of it and the communication. I was not expecting that we would hear uh the the vocal enthusiasm from patrons that they appreciate it and we've really heard a lot got a lot of positive feedback about that well you can count me as a as a strong strong voice in that as well i love it and and, and also just makes getting into the theater so much easier 
Uh, you know, I, I, none of the times I've been there has been no line. It's just really smooth. So kudos to, you know, obviously you guys for choosing great films, but also the whole, the whole front of house operation. Is that's, really that's great to hear. Smooth. And a- absolutely. Our, our managers and the front of house team, they have done an amazing job uh, getting up to speed with some new protocols and how to interact with customers, how to explain things, what to do, uh, if, when situations, they, they've done a great job. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, dive into the the labor films in the European Union Film Showcase. There are three of them. Uh, the Good Boss, Between Two Worlds, and uh, Luzu. Uh, I, I don't know if that's pronounced correctly. I'm sure you can correct. Uh, I'll just sort of give you a quick reaction. I, I, I love all three of them. I mean, I, I think people should, people should go see all the films, but then <laughs> 53 films. Uh, and you do have the, the whole passport thing, which I love, by the way. Very, very cool. Uh, highly recommend. It's a great way. I forget what it works out, but I mean, if you get a passport, you get a really, really good deal. So y'all can check that uh, check that out. Those are those still available? Yes, you you can you can buy a pass at any time. And, and Chris is calling it a passport because we we do have it designed like a passport, and you can actually stamp <laughs> as if you're visiting the countries. You can stamp the the films as you as you see them, and people seem to enjoy that part of it as well. But it's I think it's $275. If you actually saw all 53 films, that would be like a $700 outlay or something like that. So it's a tremendous value. Yeah, great, great way. And, and you know, once you've got that passport, you want to go see the films. But, but uh, as, as uh, your, your tagline is, you know, with a, you know, best of European cinema without the jet lag or the extra COVID exposure. So there you go. <laughs> So let's. Uh, let's yeah, go. we didn't. We didn't add that in, but sure. I I I figured you 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 probably that didn't make it through the marketing review. Yeah, it's implied. <laughs> I, I figured. All right, let's uh, let's go through them sort of in the screening order. The the first one is the Good Boss. The first screening of that. I think you have two screens of each film, uh, and in the show notes we'll have links to all of them. But the Good Boss is uh, tomorrow Saturday, um, and and uh, sports. Uh, a familiar, a familiar lead. Uh, you guys want to talk a little bit about that? I, 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 this is. I will say this to me, in some ways, was the toughest one. I mean, it's a great film. It kind of has. I mean, Javier Bardem is is the lead. We love Javier, right? Um, but he's not exactly a hero, right? No. Yeah. I mean, it's a great film. It's winning a ton of awards. It's actually was nominated in Spain for the Goya Awards, which is their mm-hmm. version of the Oscars. Um, 20 nominations, which I think broke the record for most nominations of all time. Um, but yeah, it stars Javier Bardem as the owner of a um, factory that makes scales. And as Javier is wont to do, he's a bad guy um, parading as a, as a good guy who cares about his factory employees um, and there's a kind of false narrative of, of a family um, that everyone who works there, it's a family scenario. But as he's trying to win this business award, he has to make moves that uh, aren't always so, so friendly to the employees and kind of reveals the true nature of, of capitalism. It, it really does. And it is such a, a movie of our time. I mean, I, I was just blown away. Uh, by how on the nose it is for what we're going through. I mean, the kind of stuff that, frankly, you know, uh, people like Elise and I deal with, you know, in the labor world all the time, these kind of bosses who, you know, the put on a good face and, you know, the, the, the Jeff Bezos is of the world, you know, they were, we're such great people. We're trying to, we, we love everybody, you know, you're our family, you know, you know, don't, 
don't worry about the, the sweat boxes and you know and the, the, the Amazon warehouse sweat boxes. You know, it's it's all good. You know, we're, we're um, but but our gem is just and, and again, it's it's I was just having that that cognitive dissonance because I love him. He's fabulous. He's a wonderful actor, and you just there's this creeping realization this guy is a son of a bitch you, you yes. do remember no country for old men where he plays anton chagur right like he's he's shown us that dark side before i know but this is not i mean you kind of knew pretty up, up front in no country for old men where javier was coming from but in this one he i mean as stealthy smile stealthy yeah. with a smile yeah 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 now, one of the things, and, and we're not going to do a deep dive, uh, we'll maybe come back in a couple of weeks maybe and really get into it, but I had completely forgotten uh, this is a reunion of sorts. Uh, the director and Javier uh, have, had done another film that also showed in the Labor Film Festival, uh, Mondays in the Sun, a terrific Exactly. Film. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm so glad you remembered that. So it is a reteaming of, of the filmmaker and star. And um, yeah, another another film looking at uh, the labor arena, uh, but in a in a different in a different approach this time. Very different. I mean, that film was all about from the workers' point of view, uh, and this is you know, uh, this is from well, sort of from the boss's point of view. Every there's a lot of workers uh, in this film, uh, including uh, Elise, as you know, <laughs> the one fired guy who starts a one-man crusade outside the plant, um, which probably ought to be just sort of required viewing for anybody organizing, because he winds up being quite effective <laughs> in, in a way. All right, we'll, 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 we'll leave. And we should say it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. It is a very dark comedy. Yeah. I, I, when I looked it up, I was like, you know, as they said, it's a dark comedy, because I was, I was looking and saying, oh, wow, this is, it's, it's dark. But, and it, but, in a, in a, I was gonna say in a good way, but um, it's it's just a terrific film, and it keeps getting um, it it really gets at a lot of real of true labor. I, I will say though that um, Spanish Spanish and French films, for my money, consistently make the best labor films. They really, mm. in terms of dealing with class and workers and bosses, uh, my observation. And you know we've shown a lot of films you know with you guys over the years you know from those two countries and I just feel like they they really get a lot of these real issues in, in very real and entertaining ways they know how to make a film that's not didactic that's not you know sort of boring that is incredibly entertaining you know which is why I say, like I say you know you've got Javier Bardem who you're kind of empathizing with until you realize hey he's a boss the good boss by the way obviously meant incredibly ironic. <laughs> Yes, it's, yeah. it's 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 satire all the way. Yeah, all the way, all the way. Yeah, well, I really appreciate hearing uh, that observation from you, Chris. Uh, I I would concur, and um, I think it's also uh, an angle into what the festival is offering, in the sense that it's not the same old, same old. Like it's easy to assume, well, they're they're doing films in kind of a Hollywood style in those countries, but there are differences uh sometimes it's subtle sometimes it's nuanced but different subject matter uh is making its way different sentiments into the films coming from these countries than than we might get in in the u.s hollywood studio system and i think that's that's one example there that um you might get a you know that that kind of representation and that kind of frank frank representation um of what you're talking about 
And I think that's one of the great things about the European showcase. One of the reasons I look forward, I mean, I obviously look forward to going to the labor films, but I, I've noticed that many of the films, even if they're not, you know, clearly labor films as this one is, uh, are still what you would tend to call laborific, Todd, because they often have a class consciousness about them um, that, that, you know, I, I, I remember, I, you know, I'll be sitting there thinking, huh, yeah, we, we could maybe show this, you know. <laughs> yeah. We might get letters, but, you know. All right, speaking of which, uh, the next one, Between Two Worlds, it took me, because I didn't do any research on any of these. You all just sent me the screeners. I took a look at them. About 10 minutes in, I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. That well, looks- let's, yeah, I, I, yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. But uh, let's tell people what it's, what it's about well, first, well, and then, well, and then bring in that observation. I because I, I know I know where you're going with that, and I'm I'm going to go there too. But and I'm not so, sure how to talk about it without giving it away. But so you you do it. Well, yeah, I mean, but between two world stars, Juliette Binoche, who's uh, like Bardem, a well-known international film star, who's also made films in in the U.S. and is still making great films, mostly in France now, somewhat smaller in terms of of the budget, but she's doing absolutely fantastic work. It's you know it's been a while now since she's she's been in an English language U.S. made film. Uh, but she hasn't gone away. She's she's very active in France, and I'm really happy that we have a, a terrific film starring her this year. So she is a journalist who goes undercover uh, with a cleaning job and ultimately uh, gets assigned to the crew on a ferry boat. It's in the, the north of France. And I believe the, the French title is actually the, um, it's not Between Two Worlds, that's, that's the English language title, the um, the French title is actually the, the name of the town, Oostraham. Uh Sounds more Belgian, actually. Um, but this, this is obscured at the beginning. I mean, there are scenes that indicate to us that she's having conversations about her real life. Um, but she, she has to go totally undercover for this assignment, um, which means she has to deceive her coworkers. So that plays out throughout the course of the film until eventually she writes what she's going to write and reveals herself as not who she had represented herself to her coworkers, and that has to be addressed. Uh, Benoche is terrific. Uh, the non-professional actors who are employed as actors for the film, what we classically call neorealism, a, a neorealism approach, works tremendously well in this film. So it has this unique flavor for that reason uh, and, and believability. Um, and the, the, the navigation of someone covering this world and the exploitive aspects of, of this work, but open to a certain criticism of, well, what, what are you doing, uh, you know, going undercover and passing yourself off the way you are just to get your story and then you're going to leave this situation there's, there's some things to discuss there. The movie handles it tremendously well. And I think, Chris, this is where you could come in with, doesn't this remind me of something else? Well, it reminded me of Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimes. Um, yeah. And, and Barbara, of course, as Elise knows well, is, is a local here in the D.C. area, uh, very well known, very well known in the labor movement, um, who, who went undercover for Nickel and Dime. For know, Nickel and Dime, and, right. Um, so about 20 years ago, something like that, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 
So as, as far as I can tell, this movie is based on a, a real life story of a French writer who who did this assignment. But yeah, it's it sounds very similar to what Barbara Ehrenreich did previously. Right. Um, and and yeah, you, if it if it sounds like that in the face of it, it should because it is a very similar assignment. Um, yeah. And, and I was thinking about that the whole time I was watching the movie, too. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is and, and because at the beginning, um, you just you don't know that you don't you, you, you see this and that's you, why you don't yeah you, don't, you pick you up on it progressively with her private conversations and writing yeah right and so the whole film is really interested in uh you know the lives these these lives of cleaners cleaning you know women it's a, it's a you know and 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 elise obviously you know, you, you know, you've talked often on this podcast about, uh, you know, your your mom's experiences, you know, uh, as a, as a working uh, working mom, um, and I think I think this will really resonate uh, for you as well because the question that it, it's not only interested in exploring those lives, but then you know the question of what you know somebody whose job uh, is to come in, she wants to actually live that life, so that's like that's a good thing. On the other hand, this is real for the folks who are actually doing this work. It's yeah. very real, painfully real. One of my absolutely favorite but heartbreaking scenes is where uh, she's uh, carpooling with uh, a coworker, and they are splitting down to the, I don't know, penny something, whatever, you know, the gas. And what we know, what her coworker doesn't know is, you know, it doesn't matter to this woman. She's got, you know, she's actually, it doesn't, and I, I'm putting myself in that position. I, I, I got this. I'll just, you know, but she can't because she's undercover, right? Um, that to me was just a beautiful, but absolutely heartbreaking uh, scene. Um, but Eddie, Josh, did you want to jump in on this or, or at least go ahead? I'm going to have to go. You have to roll. You're going to lose the lease. I have, a, I have an 11 o'clock Zoom. But uh, thank you all very much. I look, I look forward to our deeper dive into the three films. And thank you so much. It's very exciting. Thank you, Elise. Right, thank you, Bye-bye. And Josh, did you want to uh, jump in with any of your comments on it? Yeah, I thought it was just an interesting counterpart to The Good Boss, where we talked about kind of the falsehood of the narrative of, of workers as family. But in this film, you really get to do see the real bonds and the family that, um, that the workers build with each other. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I will say that it is a film that really sticks with you. I've I've been thinking about it a lot uh, since. In fact, I'll probably go back and and and, and see it again. So highly recommended. Uh, all right, our last and one. well, Chris, I just I just wanted to add it. It what you were describing in that scene. Um, it's just so well done. Where, um, it might sound like a small thing to to describe it, but it's it's one of several instances where some very subtle distinctions of class. Oh yeah. I mean, yes. It's, it's based on, on, on money and, and what you choose to spend money on, how much money you have to spend on things. But we, we see this illustrated throughout the whole, whole movie, this very, these very concrete markers of class and not something we get much in, in American cinema. It's really well done in this film. No, thanks for bringing that up, Todd. I, I, again, I think that's one of the strengths. It's one of the reasons why I recommend not only these three films for any you know labor listeners out there, but indeed any of the films. I mean, they're going to be great films. You, know, you guys have a great track record, uh, you know, picking great films. But I, I'm, even from a labor perspective, 
again, you're, you're going to see a lot of times what, what Todd calls laborific aspects, you know, depictions of class, just, there's just a way of looking at things that I really appreciate in, in European films. Yeah. Uh, right. So. And, and start, it starts with a belief that this is worth making a movie about. This is worth depicting in a movie. And I think we get a lot more, more of that from, from the films coming from these countries. But also to your point that there is a, an awareness of class by the filmmakers that you yep. just don't see uh, very much of more, more. Uh, which right. actually brings me to the last one because I was not surprised to see that one of the co-producers on Luzu is uh, our old friend Ramin Barani. Yes. Completely yes. didn't, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of it, but when I saw it, I was like, ah. Yes. That's fascinating film. Uh, who wants to tackle... Um, Great telling the story. Great connection. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, tell the listeners about Luzu, but maybe just fill in for everyone Ramin Barani and, and sort of uh, his background because uh, he is a perfect match as a co-producer for the film. I, I think we have shown almost every single one of his films in in the, yeah. in the labor film. Festival. Man push cart and and shop shop and kind sure. of a, a purveyor of neo neo realism, if you will. Uh, with exploring uh, individuals often in his early films using non-professional actors, people very defined by the job they were doing and the world around that, that work and that job. Um, and then he had a big success with the uh, adaptation of The White Tiger uh, a year yep. ago out, out on Netflix. But yep. here he is showing up in the, in the credits line as a producer on the film, <laughs> as, as sometimes happens. And I, I think he and, and um, the, the filmmaker, uh, they might be friends like going back to film school, actually. The director. That would make, that would make sense. Yeah. The director here is named Al, uh, Alex Camilleri. So it's a film from Malta, which right there is unusual. We don't get a lot of feature films how, from Malta. How many from films Malta. do you get from Malta? I, I, uh, I get... I'll, just, I'll just say that there are many years ago by where we don't have a Maltese yeah. film in the lineup because there simply wasn't a feature film to select. So right. uh, it's a small country. The production is, the, 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 the industry is that limited that some years there just isn't something to select. Uh, this is by far the best Maltese film we've had in ages. Uh, it was very high profile in its initial premiere rollout because it was selected at the Sundance Film Festival, where they gave the jury gave it a special award uh, to the lead actor um, playing uh, 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 Jesmark playing the fisherman. He is actually a Maltese fisherman. So right there again, we have the neo neo realism, um, and it's just it's something that. You know, it never fully went away. It's still there as an option for some filmmakers to do films certain ways, but but this really takes it to a very high level. So the title Luzu refers to this traditional Maltese fishing boat. Uh, uh, it, well, I don't know. We can't get a we don't we don't have a graphic for it, but it's 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 sort of like what also is called a pirogue. So yep. if you could imagine like a like a triple quadruple wide canoe kind of shape but more uh, seagoing and, and used with fishing. And then I guess the Maltese tradition is to also give it a colorful paint job. So that's what a Lutsu is. Eyes, in a... The eyes, they've got the little oh, eyes. Oh, right, right, yeah. They've also, <laughs> they've also got that touch. Now that's, that's an important touch as well. So he's a Lutsu fisherman and has been, uh, that's, that's what his family is. That's, so we've got that presence of class in, in an identity sense uh, you are what your job is. You are the job that your father had before you and so on and so on. And he makes the uh, painful decision 
to accept a European Union subsidy to retire his concession as a licensed Luzu operator. Um, so, so right there, we've got an, something that, you know, it's, it's not a prerequisite, it's not, it's not an automatic, but when we have films that actually um, bring in a very specific European Union bureaucratic sure. element, that's, that, you know, <laughs> that pings on our radar as well. Right. Uh, but this, e even if that wasn't uh, in this film, the, uh, the dramatic aspects uh, of how good it is would, it, it would, it would be here uh, in the presentation. He makes this painful decision. He's got a, a, a wife and a child on the way, but of course it's, he's not at ease with his decision and he still has money challenges. So he makes the very perilous decision to get involved with black market fishing and the story goes from there. Uh, so it, you know, the sell on this film in general may be more, well, there's a sort of a crime aspect to it and it, you know all all of the particular elements of the fishing industry and uh, and what this guy's dealing with with trying to trying to get money for his family, but of course this this has a a laborific aspect of it, and we knew it was something that we wanted to highlight for for the podcast and getting getting the word out to to viewers. And uh, if if the description of what's what has work elements and 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 class elements isn't enough. Uh, the, as I said, the film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh yeah, I did mention that with the the award for Jesmark and his his portrayal here, and it's um, first time feature filmmaker, but someone with a lot of promise. It the, the film has atmosphere start to finish. It's gripping. You're right there with 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 the lead in his experience of his dilemmas and his crises and and how tough these decisions are that he makes, but he makes them and and where things go from there. Well, the reason that it made sense to me when I saw Ramin Barani's name in the in the credits as a producer was that this film, you know, which as you say, it's a, it's a first time filmmaker, but my God, you wouldn't know it. The the sureness of his hand, and one of the the hallmarks to me of especially Barani's early films was his absolute faith in in his actors and 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 how he could be right up there. And, and these are people they're working in so much of those films is about the work that they're doing, right? And so one of the things when you're doing neorealism, I mean, you, it, I'm, not, I'm gonna, not gonna say you can't act that because obviously, you know, actors are professionals and they can, but in this, in this one, when I was watching him, it just starts out with kind of a, a longish piece with him fishing by himself at night and lots of close-ups of him handling nets. And I'm thinking, you could spend a couple of weeks with me showing me how to handle nets. I don't think so. That just, <laughs> first of all, my hands would be a mess. Um, but it just, I just said, you know, that it just reminded me of how uh, Barani really, you know, it's clearly somebody who spent a lot of time, you know, with people to really understand, you know, you, you have to be around somebody to know what to look at. Uh, in the fish market, when they're selling, you know, the close-ups of feet, for example, who thinks to do something like that, you know? Um, so I just, and, 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 you know, scenes that, that are held just a, a couple of beats longer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, than, than usual, uh, because he has such confidence uh, in them. The other thing that uh, reminded me, you, you just, they challenged me on this, but May, uh, the big Netflix 
series that we actually just talked about on a, a recent uh, podcast here. And the reason is because uh, like in Made, you know, as this film goes along and sort of as things sort of inexorably, you know, inexorably tighten in, right? The kid, the, 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 you know, the fishing, the fewer fish, global warming, you know, it's, you just, you just like, I'm not seeing a happy ending here, right? I mean, that's just, you know, it's where- There's no, there's no pat, can, yeah, there's no pat outcome. Um, no happy ending is guaranteed. Uh, again, different approach to filmmaking and, and hearing you describe uh, the sort of accretion of detail and the thorough establishing of what this person's world is like. Uh, it's just, it's a different way of making films. There's more than one way to tackle the task of making a feature film uh, because you could imagine a completely different approach with fast cuts and snappy little soundbite bits of dialogue that are telling us this story. It'd be a completely different entity. Um, so, so this choice by Alex Camilleri which is very similar to, to what you were describing with Ramin Barani's uh, filmography. It's a choice and it sounds harder. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it sounds like that's asking the audience to do more, uh, to, to invest more given less on paper, it would sound like. And that's, you know, it's a different kind of film. It's not what we associate with big studio commercial filmmaking, which again, would have a different approach, but that's not to say it doesn't work. Uh, so again, it's an example of a different approach to filmmaking, which when it's done well is excellent. And, you know, not to completely give the impression that commercial filmmaking is disreputable. There's right. great commercial right. filmmaking. Absolutely. I'm just pointing out, we're talking about different approaches to how to, to make a film. You can make a good film or a bad film either way. Uh, but this, this is just an example of a, a different way to do it. Um, and we have, we, have a, we have a lot of examples like that in, in the European Union Film Showcase. I also just wanted to point out uh, with that kind of investment in the approach, but also your acting choices, your, your, who you cast, what a leap of faith that is. I mean, it's a leap of faith to cast any actor, whatever the pedigree in a role, that it's going to work the way you're hoping it's going to work. And, and to, to apply that to a first-time non-professional actor and be like, I think I found a person, the camera's gonna love this person and they are gonna carry the audience on this journey. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a big momentous decision. And I'm sure there was a lot of figuring it out along the way that went, that went with it. Well, and my understanding is not just the lead. I mean, I think at least, I think the- Other, other members of the cast too, yeah. I think the yeah. guy, the guy who's his pal who helps him with the boat, I think is actually the, the lead's cousin um, I think there's some other folks related, but yeah, yeah. no, so that's that, totally right, Josh, or Todd, because to, 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 to not just have one person, but to have a cast full of folks like that uh, is just amazing. Josh, yeah. do you have uh, thoughts or comments? I haven't seen the film, so I'm looking forward to see it with everyone else, but um, I did want to mention it is the Maltese selection for the best international feature at the Oscars. Um, and at the EU Film Showcase, we have 11 selections this year from various countries, including mm. um, The Good Boss is the selection yes. from Spain. So a lot of, a lot of good choices for the good, the movies the to see. The Good Boss is Spain's uh, single selection. That's the way the rules work. Single selection for consideration for the Oscars International Film category. 
not the Pedro Almodovar film, Parallel Mothers, which is excellent, but they could only choose one. Uh, and obviously they chose, chose well uh, with the fact that this film is uh, uh, cleaning up with the, the Goya nominations that Josh 20, 20. mentioned later. Wow. Yeah, a, a record 20. It's really, I mean, that's, that's basically every category, right? A clean sweep. Well, you guys have a clean sweep. I, I, like I said, you know, I love all three of these. I highly recommend them. They are, they're very different. Uh, but yeah, I can guarantee uh, you're not going to be disappointed. And uh, I actually really would, would love to maybe, we've done this before, we, we open this up and have viewers jump on and have discussions because all three of them, and these are always what I, I love about the labor films, is they are films that you really kind of want to chew over, think over, and then, and then talk about. Uh, they're, not, they're not, you know, popcorn that you're just going to sort of yeah. watch it and, and, and go. And, 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 you know, I'm a big popcorn movie guy too, uh, but that's a different kind of thing. But these are, are really films that will stay with you uh, in, in, a, in a very good way. So congratulations, um, first of all, on, as usual, hitting a home run with, with our films, but also with uh, just the, the marathon effort to pull together uh, the EU uh, showcase. Great job, guys. Well, thanks so much, Thank Chris. And, and with what you just said in the last point, Viewers can can have those kind of conversations and, and and chew it over and enjoy their popcorn at, at AFI Silver. The 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 sort of uh, casual, unofficial conversation in the lobby afterwards is absolutely part of the film festival. People were doing it last night with 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 the film. So uh, those of you listening and are considering coming out, starting with Good Boss uh, Saturday night and Between Two Worlds is Sunday, and then Lutz's uh, next week, I think it is uh, weekday. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the post screening conversation with your with your friends, uh, or or maybe you know new friends that you meet because you just sort of overhear the conversation taking place in the lobby. That's that's part of the whole deal with what's going on at the theater right now. All right, so we'll we'll close for now, but uh, we'll have to have you uh, back on relatively uh, soon because uh, if I if my calendar is right, we we need to start planning the twenty twenty two. Labor Film Festival. I don't want to push it because I know you guys are sort of still recovering from uh, putting together the EU showcase, but uh, May 2022, hopefully everything is copacetic. We're all through yep. all the variants and we're back in person, but uh, uh, I've got some ideas already. Excellent. We do too. And uh, it may, may is, it'll be here before <laughs> you know it. So yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about that. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Great talking with you. That's it for today's show. You can get details and links about The Good Boss Between Two Worlds and Luzu in the show notes and details about the entire EU showcase lineup at afisilver.afi.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.